Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. I'm Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media, with the latest installment of the Housing Wire Daily Podcast, where I get to talk to editors and reporters about the most compelling stories and sources they're covering. Today, my guest is senior mortgage reporter Bill Conroy, who covers the secondary market. We've got a lot to talk about, but first, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Since 2015, Finance of America Mortgage and their skilled, award-winning mortgage advisors have helped over 450,000 customers, closing more than $134 billion in loan volume. Licensed in all 50 states, plus Washington, D.C., Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands, Finance of America Mortgage is backed by best-in-class lending technology and a wide range of innovative mortgage products that can help turn any borrower into a customer for life. Want to join an award-winning team and evaluate your business? Visit www.joinfamtoday.com forward slash housing wire to learn more. Finance of America Mortgage LLC is licensed nationwide. Equal housing opportunity. NMLS ID number 1771. www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Equal opportunity employer. We're ready to dive in. Bill, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. Wow. So, you know, as interest rates go up, lots happening now in, in the secondary market. I wanted to talk to you about um, one of your stories called the Fed Retreat from MBS Market Sparks Short-Term Uncertainty. This is a really, really deep dive, but super interesting the whole way through. Uh, great reporting on this. So, So let's talk about that a little bit. I don't know how many people know. I assume a lot of folks know that the the Federal Reserve uh, has been buying uh, uh, both treasuries, but this story focuses on mortgage-backed securities and and their agency, you know, issued by Fannie and Freddie. They've been buying, in the bond market, buying up, you know, huge amounts of this, uh, particularly during the the pandemic, when the pandemic hit, because the market's kind of destabilized and they stepped into to keep them going. And, and uh, their portfolio of mortgage-backed securities now, I believe, is at the highest level ever. It's like $2.7 trillion that they got on their books. And so they, uh, over the last roughly six months, I think, they started uh, slowly wound down their purchases. In other words, they, their new purchases of these MBS, mortgage-backed securities. And in March, they basically stopped. So they got to the point where they're not buying any new ones. But the subtlety of this is they're still in the market purchasing MBS as their their bonds mature on their portfolio. So they're replacing the ones that are maturing. And that's a, that's a big, you know, chunk of uh, change that they're still spending. Like in February, they had, they were, I think they were just winding down their last, uh, you know, new purchase. It was, they were doing about um, winding that down at 10 billion a month. And they were just about down to zero because early March it stopped. But they, they, they had purchased that month about, um, you know, uh, you know, around sixty billion, and that was a third of the total agency gross issuance for the month. So they're 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 buying up about a third of the, the uh, MBS in the market still, just by re, you know, mostly by replacing 
bonds on their portfolio that are running off. So they signaled in their last meeting in March that they're going to stop replacing maturing bonds at some pace, right? And they suggested, with the way it looks now, it's about $35 billion a month. So they that would be an additional $35 billion in MBS that they wouldn't purchase that somebody else or some other buyers are going to have to, to pick up. And that's kind of what the story looked at is, you know, um, this is a, you know, a, a huge supply of MBS coming on the market at the same time that the Fed is, you know, kind of jacketing up the, the mortgage rates in the free market. This is independent of the Fed is like racing to the top with interest rates. Like we're up a point and a half in a, in a uh, you know, a month, in three months period. And the Fed's only done one quarter point increase and they got what six more plans. So, course the market prices in the future so that's part of what's going on but still it's been a crazy time as everyone knows it's in the business i have not seen anything like this in my 30 years covering business and uh, some people will tell you it's 40 years ago since we've seen something like this um and it might it just depends on what period you want to compare it to but but it is pretty crazy so but that's part of the plan too the it doesn't make sense to be raising interest rates to try to slow the inflation and i guess the economy essentially at the same time you're um you know buying up bonds they tend to keep you know bond prices a little higher so they're really supporting higher uh uh, bond prices. Actually, they're supporting lower bond prices. As the supply of these bonds increases, there's going to be, uh, they're going to have to offer a little better interest rates. It just pushes a little more pressure on, on, on the bond rates. So whatever that means for the future, we'll find out. But we the, the article kind of broke down who are the major buyers and are there going to be enough people to step in to pick up this extra supply during a time when the market's already kind of reeling. And and since I wrote this story, it's a little even a little more complicated because I have discovered that it the situation in the secondary market um, is a little bit at least short term a little bit um, more uh, stressed than I even I thought because we we've got a um, an inflection point where a lot of lower rate bonds are coming out of the market at the same time bond rates are going up every week almost. So it's been really hard to price those into deals and, and get, you know, either in the whole loan market or in the secondary private label market, for sure. Um, and so all this market pressure is kind of hitting at the same time. And, I, and I'm sure everyone out there is a little on pins and needles how it's going to shake out because um, no one knows. And that's the bottom line is um, it's moving so fast that until things stabilize, it's really hard to predict where the end of this this turbulence is. Um, and the volatility, um, and you know, people are, can, can make all the projections they want. It, the reality is, we don't know. Um, it, there's too, so many variables. So the the the, the, the long short of it is, you can you can look at the major buckets of the buyers for, in the bond market and how they're going to react. But you know, recursion, which is this data firm that kind of analyzes a lot of the GSE data, um, you know, looked at the major buckets of buyers. And, you know, the biggest one is commercial banks. And then there's money market and pension funds, buyers of the bonds that might come in and help replace some of these Fed purchases. And, and in addition, there's, uh, uh, you know, foreign investors. And then there's the GSEs themselves, right? And the interesting thing about policy in, in the GSEs is, is they actually have their ability to buy MBS or assets to add to their portfolio, including loans capped because of the conservatorship. And it's like at 225 billion each. 
And they have a little room in there to buy more. I mean, to, if they wanted to, I mean, they're not gonna, but it, it, they, they've each got a little over a hundred billion on their balance sheets now. So they, they still had some, but they're winding it, they're purposely winding it down to, to stay under the cap. Um, so basically the GSEs aren't going to come in and buy up their own MBS. That's not likely to happen. Um, the banks are already at the, the only ones that rival the Fed in purchasing. They're at 30, uh, I think it was 30%. Uh, of, of purchases, something like that. But, you know, the banks tend to follow uh, what the Fed does. So at least that was the assumption by recursion. So they're not likely to amp up their MBS purchases right now is their, is their thought, but who knows? Um, and foreign purchasers, you know, they, they didn't see them as a big bucket. They're pretty low. So they thought maybe money market and pension funds could step in and buy some more. But because of the environment now, in fact, for all of these, for the environment right now is such that, you know, they, they, they compared it to catching a falling knife. Does, <laughs> does anybody want to step in right now and, and just take those risks? We, we don't know where rates are going or when the rates are going to stabilize and, um, you may be buying bonds that tomorrow are worth less than you paid today. And that is what we're, we're kind of seeing is I've had stories of people saying, well, they went in and sold, uh, um, you know, and the whole loan market would, would sell a portfolio loans at 101, like one over par. And a week later, it was below par. I mean, that's how fast it was moving. If they hadn't sold it, you know, that week, they would have lost money as it is. They just broke even. That's the kind of market we're facing. Um, and it's, you know, as a reporter trying to figure out what all the variables are and what that means to all the players, it, well, it put this way, it's a full-time job, <laughs> but, and if you're in the market, I'm sure it's the same way. I mean, just trying to figure out, you know, no matter what part of the market you're in, trying to figure out where this is headed. Um, if it makes you feel any better, I, I, it seems the top executives and, you know, the major players in the market are are in the same boat. They're all trying to hedge their bets as best they can based on the information they have. And it, it, as soon as you think you have it figured out the next week, the rates change um, and the environment changes. Um, so that's kind of what, what this MBS story explores, um, just the macro elements of that and, and how um, at a time when the bond market's already a bit disheveled and, and, and battered from the, from the rate environment, we're going to see more supply if the Fed's pull back as planned. Now, enter the market, which just adds another wrinkle or another variable to, to how the, this is, is going to all shake out. Um, and, you know, it's possible new money could come in. I mean, the one thing that that is really, you know, from outside these, these other buckets, maybe some major asset managers decide to get out of corporate bonds because of the environment and move toward MBS. And that could be new money that's not there now. So there is hope. And there's also the, the reality that we aren't facing uh, a credit crisis like we were in 06, 07, uh, when the market really crashed. Uh, you know, the underlying collateral in the market, the, the, the basic, you know, home prices and the value of homes and the underwriting and the loans, it's all solid. That's not the problem here. It's the interest rate environment. And um, that's, you know, obviously a big factor. It's not to be uh, minimized. But, um, you know, if, if we can ride this out is the is the thought um, th that we're going to end up on the other end of it in a, a fairly good position for the housing market um, moving forward. Just people are just going to adjust to the new environment in terms of, you know, profitability 
as one person told me, you know, you might have been making, you know, 104 on your deals, not like four over prime now, and you might have to be satisfied with three or two going forward, but you still could be profitable. It's just going to be a reset in a, you know, kind of a reset of relative values is, is the way um, Lori Goodman put it at uh, the Urban Institute that... And that, that day is coming, but it, it, it's if it's done right and the people that survive that long, um, that's the question, how long this is going to last and, and who's capitalized well enough to write it out. Um, you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. So that's my long spiel on that story. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I like the fact that you talk to different people about, you know, both short term and long term, what they were looking at, because you know, and to your point, a lot of a lot of the short term is just too uncertain. Um, it's changing so fast, especially with you know international developments affecting the bond yeah. market um, and inflation. But you know, we did you did talk to Michael Bright, the CEO of the Structural Finance Association, oh, yeah. who said that you know he 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 sees it like, hey, the silver lining here is you know winding down the Fed's MBS portfolio um, could result in in a pickup of PLS, right? Of the private label. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's true. And I didn't mention, I didn't really get into that in the, in my spiel, but yeah, he did. He did say it's possible. This could be a silver lining for the PLS market. And one of the areas they're already seeing, um, and, and that's because the, the pricing in, you know, the, the, the private label market is, is, you know, able to price competitively in some of these products with the agencies, right. In the, in the, in the securitization of the, of their mortgage backed securities. Um, and some of that's because of um, things that the agencies or the FHFA that oversees them has decided to do because they, they, they've, uh, you know, up the lower, the loan level pricing for some of the high end loans, but also the investment property loans, um, which makes the, private label market much more competitive with the GSEs in the, in at least theoretically. And it, it appears to be happening with the investment properties. Um, and MaxX, which is a big loan aggregator, said as much, they're keeping an eye on it, that as dollar as some of the, the, the numbers have been for uh, um, like the prime jumbo market and because of refis down and so forth, the investment property market is still hot. And I'm looking at, at that a little in a little deeper dive later. But, you know, on the surface, what it, what it appears to be is that there, it may not be as interest rate sensitive as some of these other, um, you know, housing products or um you know, like single family homes, uh, owner occupied and so forth, because the, 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 you know, there's 80% of the market is mom and pops. Like, you know, people that buy three or four properties, maybe one, you know, investment property. And then the maybe two, 3% of the market, although it is very concentrated in certain Sunbelt cities is the large institutional investors. And a lot of it is also driven by fix and flip which makes fix and flip loans are very short term. And those make it into securitizations in the private label market too. Um, this example on fix and flip, if you got a, you know, one year, whatever it is, uh, a little more than a year and a half or two years on a note, you, you're worried about interest rates. Of course, you want to get the best rate you can, but you're probably not as sensitive to the, to the volatility because you're going to be paying that note off pretty quick. So, um, you know, it's, it's, and also there's other ways to access money in that market. So they can be more competitive. And I know some people aren't going to like to hear this because there's another side to it, but, but with the homes that are available in the market, they can act faster. They have access to money a little quicker and they, and then they still can securitize these in the private label market for liquidity at competitive rates to the, to the, um, 
agencies right now. So that market might have a little juice through this. Uh, we'll see. But uh, I, I looked at the securitizations coming in. And of course, you know, you can miss some here and there, but because um, I'm working off a of bond rating uh, and they come in every day. So, but I mean, we're way above last year in terms of um, investment property collateral securitization is way above it, double easy. And it continues, uh, it continues to grow. And that's on the, uh, you know, RMBS side, which is what goes through the private label market. And on the, you know, these big single family rental securitizations, which are a little different animal. Um, there's been like eight of those and there's at least 22, um, PLS deals that have gone through through you know a little past the first quarter, and they're still coming. So that might that also means a lot of those um, starter homes or you know in a little above that are getting that are, that everyone's competing for might be you know more of those are going to the investment rental route, which is you know I guess another macro issue to to, to for people to dissect as to whether that long term is good for the housing market or not. I I think the the real issue here. Uh, behind all that is supply. And, and, you know, we do notice that at least a little bit they're ratcheting up, uh, you know, new builds, but until there's more supply, there's going to be this tension between, you know, investment property and owner occupied um, going forward. I don't see how you get out of that buying without more supply, but that is one of the brighter lights or one of the brighter spots in, in what's going on is that, you know, the PLS market across the board is not, necessarily running on all, on all its cylinders because they're affected by this, this this rate volatility too. But there are sectors or segments of it that seem to be have a little bit more legs than, than, than other ones right now, even during this, this uh, volatile period. Well, it's fascinating to see what's happening there. I mean, uh, to your point, I mean, this is this is such such a fast changing market and in an area that, you know, for, for some of the last 10 years hasn't there hasn't just been a lot of news there, right? But now it feels like there's just news every single day. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like the, you know, the weather changing, really. I mean, <laughs> we went from spring to winter maybe, right? And, you know, I mean, we all survive winter. It's just we got to kind of get new clothes and make sure our cars are, are uh, you know, kind of tuned up and everything. And that's kind of, I think, kind of the way I look at the housing market. It, it, it's very cyclical and you, and it, it has seasons like the real world. <laughs> we're, in, we're in another season right now. They come quick, right? You don't know them. Sometimes winter just hits. <laughs> it does. Um, interestingly, though, of course, um, interest rates going up isn't all bad news. The, the, the part of the market that really benefits from that, of course, is mortgage servicing rights. So as interest rates rise, you know, then we have a a, a real interest there. And you, you wrote a story recently that said the MSR sector is a raging bull in a bear mortgage market. So I'd love to talk to you about that part. Yeah, I mean, that's that's like a, a, the guys in that market have, you know, haven't seen anything like this in, you know, like decades. I mean, this is the, for them. Well, the, I mean. The, the simple explanation for why the mortgage servicing rights market, and of course, that's the um, slice of the, when you pay your mortgage, slice of that goes to, you know, servicing. It's a very small slice, but, um, you know, uh, it, 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 it's it's a steady stream of income and, you know, it's, it's an asset, basically. It's worth something and you can buy and sell these rights. Um, and it, what happens in the uh, environment like this is, um, those MSR rights or the MSR 
asset is worth more be, when uh, when refinance is kind of slow because it means the prepayment of the of the uh, mortgage go way down and the, that means the MSRs pay are going to pay out over a longer time so they have a better coupon rate right that's essentially the the, the equation and that's what's happening is prepayment speeds are are, are way down and as they've been dropping as rates go up prepayment speeds you know the the you know the curve goes down um the value of these msr assets is probably going up as as fast as the the value of some of the um the bonds in the market are are getting clipped um so yeah there's been some big deals uh some of the you know the players involved in this are like mortgage advisory corp uh, uh mortgage industry advisory corp presswick mortgage um in center uh, mortgage trade, mortgage capital trading. I mean, the, they're they're kind of the brokers and advisors for this market. There's more, but all these people are doing multi billion dollar deals. I mean, they're coming through fat as fast as they get them out. Um, and you know, like uh, Incenter did like 113 billion in MSR trades um, in in, uh, in January, and another 60 billion in February. In March, I don't know what's going on, but they didn't have, they didn't have any publicly offered deals. All that tells me is, you know, these deals were all made, you know, uh, without having to offer them. <laughs> they were making, they were still doing deals that month. And then, you know, they have, um, um, you know, an, an additional uh, $7 billion that they just announced recently. And and I can go on. They're all, all these companies, uh, these uh, uh, broker, brokerage companies in the MSR market are, are handling huge deals. And, and it's, you know, most, it's all GSE uh, mortgage servicing rights that are, you know, switching or switching hands. And when you look at who's buying and trading, I mean, it's the non-banks that are the biggest players. And that that's understandable. Um, I mean, one of the issues non-banks have and why they're having issues right now in this kind of environment, is not re- it's just the way they're set up. They don't, like, unlike banks, they don't hold deposits. They don't really have they're not set up to hold assets to kind of on their balance sheet. They're, they're, they're set up to move assets. Um, and Amasars are the closest things they have to, to kind of a, an asset on the balance sheet. And so some of them choose to hang on to them, depending how, you know, whether they're, how well capitalized they are, they, you know, they can say, hang on to them and just, you know, take the revenue stream, you know, and the other ones are cashing in right now because uh, they're worth so much. I mean, they're unlike the bonds where you're going from 101 to 99 to 95. These are going the other way. Um, and they're, 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 they've been gaining in value. Now there is, there is a, um, you know, a point where they'll kind of, uh, you know, plateau as well, because this was explained to me that, you know, at some point the prepayment speed, you know, decline is, is gets to be a law of diminishing returns essentially that um you know as you if you got a three percent mortgage is it any more and 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 the rates go up you know to five to percent is that person holding that three percent mortgage any likely to refinance you know if the rates go up to six percent probably not so you get down to like a, a floor on that where the prepayment speeds are, um, you know, probably as high as they're going to be. And if interest rates tick up a little more, it ain't going to matter. doesn't mean that, that they're going to go down in value, the MSRs. They're certainly not in that environment. But um, we're fat, we're approaching the ceiling. We're not quite there yet. So these guys are still, you know, able to, to, to make some good money if they want to sell these out in the market. 
Um, and, you know, some of the buyers right now, um, at least this is, again, according to recursions data, the top MSR buyers, um, it's like through the first three quarters of the year, we're like, you know, um, JP Morgan, uh, Lakeview Loan Servicing, Mr. Cooper, and Carrington, you know, and then you have sellers on the other side, at least, again, this is this is over the first three months of the year, like United Wholesale Mortgage, uh, Matrix Financial, Rocket, and uh, Freedom. But you got to remember, these are moving back and forth. Freedom sold, you know, they were one of the big sellers during that period. But last year, they were one of the big purchasers. They were the top purchaser. So they were building them up maybe to sell them this year, right? They saw, you know, so maybe they figured this was a smart way to go. So they're shedding some of them, and, and some of it's strategic. That doesn't mean they're selling everything off, but this is the, that's the market there. I'm sorry, uh, I interrupted you. No, no, I was interrupting. I was just going to say. I mean, that seems like the same thing with Rocket, right? They were one of the sellers to Lakeview, but they were also one of the buyers. Yes, exactly, um, exactly, you know, exactly. So it's just interesting to see how this goes. And um, you know, you had uh, you quoted Michael Carnes, who's the managing director of the MSR Valuation Group for. Mortgage Industry Advisory Corp talking about, you know, uh, we could see pricing begin to hit its ceiling when looking at just prepayment curves. You know, I mean, there's there's a limit to how this goes, but but right now it is like going gangbusters. Yeah, and we've and we've been or I've been following it in in the, the, since the beginning of the year. It's 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 really been one of the the bright spots. Um, it, you know. Like any job, you know, there's there's times when you think, oh, you know, you get tired of bad news. And everyone thinks reporters just want to report bad news. And, you know, that's like, you know, kind of working, you know, at, at a funeral home. You you really, you know, you, you don't really. Well, we really don't I mean, like bad news. Yeah, yeah, that isn't necessarily what we want to do. Um, so when you, you know, there is good news and, you know, you try to find it all. You try to find out what's really going on, not, not just, you know, you. You want to uh, interrogate your assumptions on everything, but in this case, yeah, it's been following these stories is just the opposite of the, uh, some of these other ones. It's this. It's like I can't keep track of how much money is moving through this market. It's very. It's it's very. It's it's you know huge. Right now, I would say is the kind of the helping some of these companies. I would argue anyway, from what folks have told me to ride out this period. It's one of the ways that, that you you can help yourself to ride out um, this this period where the other side of the market isn't functioning quite the way it should be, right? Because of the rate rises. So um, we'll see how it shakes out. But at the end of the day, um, you know, the difference between the banking and the non-bank market, um, you know, is, is kind of highlighted in a period like this. Um, and there's other stories I'm working on where, you know, down the road, new products come along, especially in the, uh, in the, uh, brave new world of technology that we're in that, you know, may create more opportunities for assets to, to, you know, for at least some more liquidity through different products that, that act sort of like a, a balancing asset during environments like this. And, you know, I, I, we'll see what happens, but of course I'm talking about some of the, or inventive products around, uh, you know, crypto technology and really crypto securitization. And they're very, very minimal right now. But that's one of the things I'm looking at uh, in the future is, you know, what is that market like? Is it got hold any potential? It's not there yet, but it's like the space program. It's, we're, you know, we're not to Mars yet, but, you know, we, we are putting rockets into space. 
No, I love it. I, you know, I would, I would encourage our listeners to, uh, to read both of those stories. They were excellent. Um, and then to, to look out for the things that you're working on here. Are, are there any short-term things that we should be looking for? Well, the, yeah, the, the, the story right in front of my plate right now is I'm taking a look at the non-QM market and how it's coping with, because uh, um, they, they've got the same problem that everyone else has. I mean, with the rates rising, the non-QM market, you know, prices their loans a little higher, you know, point and a half higher, you know, point, point and a half higher than, than where the market rate's at, you know, um, like 5% already. But they have to stay in order to stay profitable. They got to, you know, and so they're they're dealing with the same kind of rate pressures. And so that my, what I'm working on is talking to some, a number of the executives at these firms to see, you know, what, what their outlook is on the market and how they're, how they're dealing with it right now. Again, the bottom line that I think, you know, still sink, sinks home because I, I was around during the crash and covering some like everyone missed it, by the way, the business press, if, you know, if we're all honest about it, we didn't see that crash coming. We didn't realize the extent of, of the of the issue of the assets, the housing, you know, backed assets on the balance sheets of, of, of in that case, it was a lot of banks and so forth. But this one, you know, we're all we've all had our our eyes, I think, on the underwriting and on the credit and the quality of the loans, and I think regulations have pretty much made it hard not to underwrite loans to a pretty high way. Um, so I don't, I think that's that's really gonna, you know, right. <laughs> there's a solid foundation in the housing market right now, and and I think, uh, um, you know, this this rate thing is is more a monetary policy problem, right? Um, it's not. No one controls it completely. The Fed's trying to, you know, tap down inflation. You know, we are dealing with a confluence of forces around the uh, economies of the world that are, are really kind of causing a lot of this, the supply chain uh, issues, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, the war in Ukraine, like we, we, we're always in wars all over the world. There's other wars going on that we're not covering. This one's getting a lot of attention, but you know, frankly, because of the disruption it's causing the economy in Europe, that you know that cold is spreading around the world, and clearly here, and we, and that volatility over there, not knowing what's going to happen next, I think is affecting, you know, um, in the sanctions continuing. That affects supply chains. That affects you know attitudes, and a lot of the market because you got to live in the future and you got to make predictions and based on the perceived risks, and you know, so that's that's. Our, our perception of risk ahead is a lot higher than it's been in a while. So um, till that settles down a little bit, I think, you know, uh, we're not going to fix some of these, you know, uh, interest rate driven, inflation driven, monetary policy driven issues. But the assets underneath this housing market are really solid. So wherever we do land, we should be able to spring forward pretty quick um, with maybe an adjustment of relative value is, is you know, I mean, my dollar isn't going to be worth what it is now. It's, you know, it's, but, you know, I can still make a profit on the dollar if I, you know, provide a service or a good that's, that's got value. And I think the housing market has a lot of value yet. That is the, you know, biggest silver lining here is that the fundamentals are good and we're not, you know, all of the stories we're covering about, you know, trading this, they're, you know, securitizing that, at least the underlying loans um, how to your point, it's, it's really hard to <laughs> with the with the current regulations to underwrite loans that aren't you know safe right now. So we'll be looking forward to your um, 
the upcoming reporting. Great job on on covering this market and and the two stories I mentioned, along with other stories. You, you've got stuff out there on all sorts of uh, topics we didn't even get to, but um, really appreciate you, Bill. And we'll be looking forward to those coming up. All right, thanks. That went quick. Yeah, no, thanks for being on as always. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.